Welcome to Curito Connects. I'm your host, Jen, and I've been conversing with friends around the world about life challenges and impactful moments. Conversations on this platform look at answering the questions, how we overcome challenges and how our experiences shape who we are and the work we do today. I hope this work can inspire you on your own personal and individual journey. Let's dive right in. Hello, my guest today is Marta Magdalena, co-founder with her husband, John Tatva of Ashtanga Nilayam, Singapore. I'm like, I had to like tongue twist here with all these words, but uh, hi, Marta. Hello. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Uh, no, thank you for, for coordinating with me. I think it took us almost a year for us to be able to record this together today. Um, and you're sitting <laughs> yes. in Spain My right best, now. Sorry. <laughs> no, it happens. But you're you're currently sitting in Spain right now, right? For a, for a training. Is that right? Yes, I'm in Barcelona. Uh, we went in Tenerife for a couple of weeks just to become students and refresh our minds and bodies. And now we are in beautiful Barcelona, just chilling, being tourists and enjoying yeah. beautiful European cities. <laughs> Since COVID. Um, so I'm so thrilled to have Mar- Marta with us. Uh, Marta and I met at uh, Michelle Papa and Dr. Jean's Mindful Birth Australia course back in 2018 in Hong Kong, um, when teacher trainings were still a thing and you could travel around the world to take different courses. Um, but but slowly we're, we're, we're returning to normalcy now. Um, but at the time, I think in our class, uh, there was about only four students who flew in from abroad to Hong Kong to attend this program. And Marcia, I think you were flying in from Singapore at the time, and I was flying in from Taiwan. Uh, and I and yes. so I think I think we connected because we were there was only a handful of us who were not students living in Hong Kong. So those of us who were living in hotels and and trying to figure out where to eat during the lunch breaks and stuff, kind of hung out more often than the others. Um, and I and um, I think what's interesting to me is um, your journey, Marta. Right. So you went from you're born in Poland, and then you um, you're a former architect. Uh, living in Berlin at the time, also running your own Ashtanga Yoga Shala. This was around 2010 to 2017, before you decided to say bye to that career path in life and come out to Singapore in 2018. Um, Wait, <laughs> where you? I didn't really you... decide. You know, it was the life circumstances that got me there. <laughs> life circumstances, and we'll come back to that. Um, where you now run your uh, Shtanga studio with your husband and daughter, Isabel. So I'm really excited to chat with Marta today about yoga and motherhood um, and the ups and downs and what she has learned along the way. So I'm going to stop there and, and kind of let you you take it from here because I kind of summarized it very quickly. And obviously, there's a lot of little bits and pieces you could fill in from there. Yeah, I don't know where to start with, um, but... Um... So just before I met you on the teacher training, I moved to Singapore. I think it was early 2018, around February, that I just packed all my belongings, uh, sold my car, sold all my furniture, and got a one-way ticket to Singapore. Uh, So that was really a beautiful, um, beautiful change in my life that took me where I am now. But yeah, there have been many steps before uh, and many decisions and many, many years of practice and trips and uh, learnings that got me to that point. Um, so where should I start? Should I start with the beginning of my yoga journey or should I start like, why did I go to Singapore in the first place? I think, well, I think what we can, where we can start is your yoga journey, right? And the, like your where you started your yoga journey and then your career path at the time? I think when when you asked me to actually, um, I also think that's, I actually need to start by excusing myself that it took us so long to, you know, to get into this podcast. But what I realized, I, one thing is, of course, being a mother, I've been very busy. But second, I was simply procrastinating because speaking about myself is definitely not my pair of shoes. <laughs> so I thought like, Podcasts are amazing, but it's way beyond my comfort. 
comfort zone, you know, <laughs> uh, which is which is eventually nice that I find myself here, um, and that you know it's uh, something to share. Well, so I was basically over the past few days trying to find like five minutes here and there to think what to say and how did all this start and how you know from being very passionate architecture student and fresh architect, I completely decided to change it and to drop it and to go a completely different way. And I came to the point where I realized it all started almost 20 years ago. I mean, I'm not that old, but I was quite young at the time. <laughs> and I was just, uh, you know, this teenager who was looking for some deeper meaning in life. And I came uh, across a pile of books uh, written by uh, the Bhagavan Rajneesh. I don't know if you know him, probably under the name of Osho. So Osho is, was a very cool spiritual guru, quite controversial for those of you who have seen the uh, Netflix series about him that <laughs> reveals some truths. But back then I had no clue. I just went to this bookstore looking for some book and there was this pile of these worn out books. I think they were giving them out for free. So I just took a pile of the Osho books and I started reading. Uh, you know, and being 16 or maybe 18 years old at the time, I I was completely thrilled. I was like, wow, that's something else. You know, I've been reading a lot of books because I think I was quite of a, I don't want to say introvert, but rather like a person, you know, living my own peaceful life, having, uh, like you say, a rich uh, inner world, a lot of yeah. inner conversations going on. <laughs> I wouldn't really party or, or socialize that much when I was young. I was just doing my own things. Uh, so I loved books. And then when I came across this book by Osho, I was just like, wow, that's like, that's something I was looking for. Like, I didn't even know I was looking for, but, you know, when you start reading about the mindfulness and self-love and kindness and following your life passion, when you are in this age of like 16 and you want to rebel and you hate everyone and you hate yourself and like we all go through that, right? So finding these kind of books at that point was, was just like a bliss. It was really amazing. And that's when it all started. Um, back then in Poland, yoga was not something that you would hear about. Um, so when I first told my mom that I want to attend the yoga class, she was really scared, okay? She was like, but what is that? Like, you know, like, let's go for some fitness together or like, let's go for a walk. It will be better. This yoga, I don't know, you know, we are Christians. Maybe it's a little against. <laughs> she was quite scared. But I was lucky enough, the, the yoga classes in my city, the only ones that I knew about were actually held in a, in a gym, in a fitness studio. So that was kind of like still accessible socially, you know, because you go for this weird yoga stuff, which back then was quite esoteric, spiritual, God knows what about. Yeah. But they were held at the fitness studio. So I was, <laughs> I was fine. <laughs> so I started going there. And I really well remember my first class. And I think it was a younger class. And when I sat on this, you know, in a younger, you have all this blanket and posters and blocks. And, you know, it takes like 15 minutes to prepare everything and <laughs> before you're finally able, allowed to sit on it in some dandasana or <laughs> a simple twist. But after the class, I was blissed. I was like, oh my God, it's like first time in my life I feel connected with my body like I even know that there is something like me and my body you know um, the ability to understand the breath and the focus on the breath I felt like oh my god I'm home you know <laughs> and that was beautiful and I think ever since I, I keep I still keep it in mind and, and keep recalling this first class and the first teacher um, and it keeps me really grounded and it really makes me uh, follow the path for like almost 20 years now which is, which is a lot uh, so that's how it all started. And then from there, step by step, I started taking it more often, more regularly, like from once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe twice a week. Then at some point, I, uh, I remember one of my teachers she was like, Marta, I should try Ashtanga yoga. <laughs> and I was like, what is that? I've been just doing, you know, this Iyengar inspire Hatha classes. Uh, so I went for this Ashtanga class, which literally killed me because... <laughs> It was, uh, of course, uh, the lead full primary series, which is definitely not a thing where a beginner should go or 
And I wasn't that beginner. I've been practicing some gentle hatha for a couple of years, but back then it was more like a mind stuff, you know. My body was not ready for for the challenges of full primary and that's not the way you should learn Ashtanga <laughs> so uh, but anyways I had no choice there was no Mysore program in Poland or in my city but then so I, I just I yeah I think after the first 20 minutes I wanted to die after half an hour I wanted to run away and then I was like cursing and I'm never going to be back there but for some reason I kept going back going back uh, until at some point I traveled to India uh, and then I I realized that this is the thing I want to do, that I want to go deeper into it, that there is more to it than the postures. And that's how my journey began. And it was, it was more than 10, 12 years ago. So ever since I've been just practicing Ashtanga, and I think that's the super powerful method, which really changes your life and changes your mind and opens you on, you know, unknown and makes you, helps you make all these weird decisions like quitting the job, <laughs> traveling to India, changing countries, and just following your own path, which is eventually what we all want to do. Yeah. In the pursuit of happiness, right? <laughs> so um, I'm just curious, so what did your mom think when you decided to uh, say, I'm going to go to India for yoga? Because you had mentioned earlier you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think but at that time, my parents, they already knew I am um, <laughs> I am the way I am. And if I decide something, <laughs> I will do it, <laughs> no matter the price. Um, so my first India trip, I think, was around 2009, maybe, or 2010. So I've been doing yoga for quite a while. So I had an excuse, like, you know, I've been doing it. I want to understand how it is. But there was always this curiosity in me towards India, like, even long before I started practicing yoga maybe that's the reason i took this osho books because you know there was this indian guru on the cover <laughs> there was i remember as a child i had this uh, beautiful um book with world maps and there were different countries and each country had different colors and people in the traditional clothes and i would always you know scroll through and open on the page of india and there was this lady in this green pink sari with this huge nose ring golden one and a lot of golden jewelry <laughs> i was maybe eight or i don't know 10 when i had this book or even smaller but it's been always in the back of my head so i think then this yoga and all the books that I was reading about it, it was, you know, it was one way. Like I had no choice. I just had to go there. You were just so very like, drawn to it, right? It was just a calling for you. Totally. It was like a calling. And my first trip was just a simple backpacking. I, um, well, I just took my backpack and I left for a couple of months. Um, and that was in the north of India. Uh, I think a year or two years before, I took a year off and already traveled to Asia. I spent a couple of months in um, in Indonesia, on Sumatra, as a part of uh, some artistic internship. Uh, but it wasn't very successful, so I came back earlier and then <laughs> just hang around for some time in Europe. Uh, and then when I after I resumed studies, I thought, like, okay, let's go to India now, because the Indonesia was like kind of almost my place but not really mm -hmm. um so you know i was already a little bit used to solo traveling with backpack uh, in asia so the india trip wasn't that hardcore um but i went to many really beautiful places so i think i flew to delhi uh, and from there travel up north to rishikesh to Dehradun. there i took a couple of weeks intensive Iyengar yoga training and actually attending this Iyengar yoga training made me realize that Ashtanga is what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> because I think yeah, what was back it? in the, yeah, I was back in the time, you know, like somewhere like transiting. So one leg was still following the Iyengar path and the other was in this led Ashtanga classes, which I initially hated, but for some reason I just kept doing it. <laughs> um, why, uh, you know, Iyengar, yoga is very different from ashtanga and as much as it's physical um the i don't know how to say it but the original indian teachers who teach yoga are very different than the western teachers that we know in singapore or in asia 
um, they are very strict. If you listen to stories about PKSI Inger, he was a really strict guy. He would yell, he would punch, he would slap, he would curse. He, he was, I mean, he was still apparently much kinder than um, Krishnamacharya, the, the father of modern yoga, <laughs> who would really abuse <laughs> his, um, his students in the name of love and, and, you know, sharing the authentic path. But Iyengar was quite similar. So the person I, uh, I practiced with, his name was Rajiv, and I think he's still, he's still running this retreat. He was an amazing teacher, but he was a very dedicated student of Iyengar, and, and he was almost as strict as him. <laughs> So sometimes he would put us into downward dog and just talk and yell on us for like 45 minutes, you know. And we were all the time in this downward dog. And that's how it was. That's how it was also in Pune. I also had a chance to go to the Pune Institute, the, you know, where Iyengar used to teach uh, when he was alive. And uh, yeah, and then you would just see people in these weird postures just being there for hours and hours. <laughs> You know, when we think about the benefits of asana, I personally believe that they probably do the job, but you really need to stay longer, right? Like we say that, you know, like some of the postures, they, I don't know, they regulate your blood pressure or they work on the eyesight or they work on the nervous system. So either you would need to do a lot of asana that, that have the benefit or just stay in one asana for a long time. So that's what they do. And, and that's the authentic Iyengar yoga. And for me, it was, I just realized it's just too much talking. I need my inner silence. And the beauty of Ashtanga is that when you start practicing a Mysore style, the self-practice, there's this inner peace and this inner silence and calmness. It's like a movie meditation. So that's, that's what makes you feel like I have arrived, you know? This is this inner beauty. I like that. I like that um, comparison that you did there with Iyengar and Ashtanga and like for you personally, how you also transitioned between the two, right? Appreciating both practices, but what really worked for you versus the other practice. Yeah, I think one can learn so much from both of them, but it's just a personal, personal path that we choose, right? Yeah. I do want to ask too, though, just kind of going back to an earlier, earlier topic we, we, talked about was you didn't go straight into teaching um as your full time right like you knew you wanted to be on this yoga path you were studying you were practicing uh but at the same time you like many of us when we first you know study and graduate from college etc you uh, did take a career path of being an architect right and you moved to another big city at the time so can you share with us a little bit about that period you know and how you kind of like decided to go into an architect firm move out to Berlin but also run a shala uh, and then at what point did you say I you know like you said earlier you're like I don't want to do architecture anymore this is the path I want to take I think it was very organic, uh, slow, gradual growth and transition. So when we practice Ashtanga, um, we don't really have anything like teacher training. Um, in order to become a teacher of Ashtanga, you need to practice for, for a couple of years at least, have a daily established practice for, I would say, three to five years minimum. I think I had a little more. Um, and then you maybe start assisting your teacher in the shala, start helping, wiping the mats, you know, <laughs> watching what your teacher does. Uh, and then maybe they ask you, oh, you can push in this downward dog, <laughs> you know, so that's your first assist you ever do. And maybe you do it for a couple of weeks until they say, okay, maybe you can help another student in Parangushtasana. Uh, and so that's how you learn. It's very slow and it's really based on the understanding of your own body. So when I moved to Berlin, that's where I uh, started practicing daily Mysore classes, uh, like really dedicated. You know, I think I started this daily journey after 2014, uh, after my one of my trips to Mysore. Uh, but um, well, living in Poland and being born in Poland, you don't have really much choice then just after you graduate your studies you have to start working right <laughs> so that's the brutality of life and I decided to move to Berlin for various reasons one of the reasons is that 
in my profession, there were just better work opportunities, but also because there were a proper Ashtanga Shalas. So that were the two reasons that I, I wanted, uh, you know, to move away from Poland. Uh, and and I was just gradually teaching, uh, practicing and practicing and practicing more until at some point I felt like I would like to start sharing. But of course, having this um, daily job in the office from 9 to 6 p.m. I think with one hour lunch break, you don't have so much time you know, to uh, to work on but I still started with like three times a week evening my store I think that was that was the first thing I started to teach and I didn't really graduate any teacher training before I've been just practicing by then uh, you know yoga asana for about 10 years or more and uh, for about five years uh, so that was very very slow and very natural I still remember the first class when I you know I I had this group of people of my friends who lived in Berlin and I had to chant because we always start the class by chanting the opening mantra. And it was the first time in my life I was chanting in public, you know. <laughs> so I just, you know, stepped in front of them and started chanting it. You know, the fact that the chant, the mantra is in Sanskrit really saved me because nobody understood if I <laughs> chant correctly or not. <laughs> so that was a really stressful moment. Um, and then from there, um, you know, I started in 2014 traveling to India yearly to Mysore to the source of Ashtanga Yoga, where our teacher uh, Sharad Joyce continues the lineage, right? So what he inherited from his uh, grandfather, Bhakti Joyce, um, the, the whole lineage of Ashtanga Yoga, he continues it and teaches. So all of us who are, I would say, who take Ashtanga more seriously than just like a weekend practice, and those of us who teach, we travel there. Yeah. It usually takes five or six years, five or six yearly trips to Mysore until Sharad comes to you and he's like, hmm, okay, I can authorize you, now you can teach. <laughs> so I got officially authorized in 2000, I think 16 or 17, after a couple of trips to Mysore. I was already teaching before, which is not so 100% legal, but that's what most of us anyways do. Uh, and, and then after I got authorized, I was like, okay, now I really have to take it seriously because authorization have no value if you don't do anything with it. You right. Like if you keep it in your cupboard, <laughs> uh, it doesn't really work. So uh, I thought it's a big responsibility, but now I have to shift into morning, uh, more, you know, uh, running a morning mind store. And um, that was quite colliding with my job. So I was just started thinking like how to do it, you know, to start working later or maybe part time. <laughs> and uh, the trouble started. I mean, trouble started actually already before because uh, working as an architect, if you want to travel for four or few months to India, you have to quit your job, right? So every year I would quit my job go to India, come back after two, three months, fully broke, look for another job, work for another eight, nine months, go to India. And that kept going on and on for, I think, five or six years. So over the seven years of living in Berlin, I think I quit my job, like, I don't know, six or seven times. <laughs> and I was making jokes that soon they would be like, they would blacklist me, like, please don't hire her. She will quit work after a couple oh. of months to go to India. Because I think my mind was not there. And as much as I really loved architecture as a student and, and when I started working, it's really hard work. You really need to work fully and you really need to keep your heart and yourself into architecture to be a successful architect. And my mind was completely not there. Like I, I felt that I'm not honest with myself seeing in the, yeah. sitting in the office because I just wanted to go out and, and go to teach or, you know, I would come tired because you have to get up at four in the morning to do your practice make it to work uh, by by 8 30 or 9 and then after that after this eight or nine hours in the office i still go and teach and then go to sleep and then it's another day and you know i was just exhausted and it kept going like that for a couple of years and and yeah and then i was like literally looking forward to when i can quit the job and go to india again because i was so tired <laughs> do you remember and, 
Do you remember that yeah. day? You, do you remember that day you made that decision where you're like, I really can't keep doing this anymore. Like this is not sustainable. I have to pick. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't I make to, it. And, and not looking, like, and then making that decision and going, okay, this is it. I'm not gonna do this whole like you know eight months work just to fund my India trip. I'm going to just go all in. Yeah, before every trip to India and after every trip to India, I was saying that to myself, you know. And then in, I think it was 2017 when I decided like, okay, now it's really the time. And I wanted to open my own shala in Berlin. So I've been renting a small studio and the studio was quite small, maybe I think six or eight months would fit in. And I felt like I really need a proper space. I have some savings now. I can create this down architecture for good and I can just focus on yoga um, and then I traveled to Mysore and then I met John and, ah. then, <laughs> and then everything changed again because well after I met John I think knowing him for like three or four days I knew that that's the person I want to be with you know but um, John is originally from India he was born in uh, Bangalore but he worked in Delhi for, for a couple of years. And then I think two years prior to meeting me, he moved to Singapore because of work. He already then worked as a full-time teacher. Uh, so when we met, he was in Singapore. And there was this maybe a few brief moments of doubt, like, should he come to Berlin? And should we open the Shala together as I was planning? Or should I go to Singapore? And I think... Um, well, because of the weather <laughs> and because of the sun <laughs> and because of the fact that living in Europe, you are depressed for half of the year and, you know, it's just too cold and too dark and you want to run away anyways. It wasn't that hard to decide, like, okay, you know what? I'm moving to Singapore. Uh, um, so <laughs> we spent I, one I year like as a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I like that story part because I feel like, you know, the, when, you know, just, you know, just throwing out there, like when we talk about relationships, you know, and, and meeting your significant other. And, and I like that the, the, the storyline of where you're like, you know, I just went out for another training and then I met John and I knew like, this is the person I want to be with right then and there. And then, and then like trying to figure out like, how is it going to work? Right. And, and like you said earlier, the circumstances and making those choices, like, is he going to move? Should I move? And how are we going to, you know, and how are we going to set this up? Right. Yeah. And it was really tough initially because we didn't, we, we spent together less than two weeks in Mysore. Then he left back to Singapore couple of weeks later I left back to Berlin and you know I already had the job set up I needed money so I had to work I couldn't really travel for the first couple of months we also couldn't travel so we saw each other after like six or eight months you know after those two weeks together so he came for uh, for two weeks to Berlin <laughs> and, and then later I visited him in Singapore for another week or two and after that I was like okay I'm coming so, so it took me like two months just to, you know, quit work and, and make all the paperwork and, and for everything, pack myself into two or three huge suitcases and just, and just move on. And that was beautiful. That was brave. And I think that was this, um, if not the fact that I was blinded by love, I would have probably not done that. <laughs> because it was, if I think about it now, it was a really brave decision, okay? I mean, practicing yoga, we learn, you know, how to follow your heart, how to listen to yourself, how to understand your needs. But that was really brave. That uh, yeah. it's not these years of, of daily practice and not the fact of, of being, like, completely into it, I, I wouldn't have moved the countries because I had nothing um, you know to start with like I, I just had these three suitcases of mine and uh, and the you know room that John was staying at so I just moved in <laughs> and then I was like hmm, okay so my tourist visa is three months I need to figure out what's after <laughs> that's then that's when I met you because then you uh, came yes, Hong Kong <laughs> yes and I, yes and I, exactly. and I, re I remember this because I remember you kind of You've, I think you were, you. if I remember correctly, and you can correct me wrong here, but I do feel like when you were in that training, you, you were very uncertain about, like there was a feeling of ungroundedness in terms of like, because, you know, you, 
you know, packed up yourself and then parked yourself at John's <laughs> apartment in Singapore and had this visa issue, right? And so you, you were then like, okay, I'll sign up for another course. Now I'll come to Hong Kong, sort out visa stuff. And then, then you were going to go back to Singapore to figure out what was next, right? Or like start a shala or start teaching there, um, which is then where I met you like maybe eight months later in Singapore where you're like, I might get deported. <laughs> <laughs> And then now we fast so, forward, there was COVID, you got married and then had a baby. So, you know, a lot has happened. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's been uh, quite intense time. Um, so actually, I planned going for this uh, teacher training in Hong Kong just before I moved to Singapore because I thought like, okay, so I've been teaching for a couple of years. Now I want to go to a new city where nobody knows me and I want to start teaching, but I have no formal education as a teacher. I've never done any teacher training. Yes, I've done like dozens of, you know, workshops and, and you know, like tons of self-practice and I that done those uh, trips to Mysore but for people who are not in Ashtanga world you know we don't get any certificate for traveling to Mysore like I spent all together more than a year practicing under you know uh, Sharad Joyce but you don't get any paper for that so people who don't know who Sharad is people who don't practice the Ashtanga lineage or don't follow it they, for them it's nothing so I felt like I need at least one paper that I've done something <laughs> And because I was for some reasons interested in the, you know, how the pregnancy works on your body and how we as uh, women can find our path through the practice, uh, I thought like, okay, let's do that. So that's that's how I ended up in Hong Kong at this hundred hour free and post night applicant training, which was amazing. It really, it was really uh, mind opening and, and yeah. really beautiful experience. And I, I met a few friends that you know we are still in touch until now. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think I definitely would also encourage um, those who are listening to this episode to definitely look into that um, course as well. It's it's a wonderfully curated course by um, Michelle and, and Dr. Jean uh, for those who are yoga practitioners or, you know, are teaching pregnant women or are pregnant and want to practice yoga. Uh, so having said that, um, I think you had a lot of learning during your pregnancy. Um and, I, and, I, and again, for those who are listening, I highly encourage you to follow Marta's Instagram because she has a lot of insightful things she shares and she posts wonderful stories as well. Um, so <laughs> so I, 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 I would love to have you share that pregnancy journey, right? And then how you continue to practice because I think at the time too, and I vaguely recall your post on this about you know, the do's and don'ts, right, as a pregnant woman, in, 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 and especially like practicing Ashtanga. Um, and, but you kind of carried through your pregnancy and practice pretty much your whole, like the whole trimester periods, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and then your whole birthing process. And, and, and now that Isabel's born, and you still practice, you know, early in the morning, you haven't, you haven't broken your routine, uh, and have been able to accommodate that while having her as well. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm right. in theory. Yeah. and practice is a little different, but yeah, um, pregnancy. Um, so, you know, I've been thinking already for a couple of years and especially after attending this mindful birth that it would be beautiful to be pregnant and to experience how the body changes and how to accommodate this growing belly, this changing body into the practice that people consider as a, as a quite demanding, right? Because Ashtanga can get quite intense, especially if you observe it from outside and if you've never tried by yourself. Um, but what happened when I got pregnant, I <laughs> I was feeling very unwell. So for me, the whole nine months of pregnancy was a huge <laughs> suffering. Uh, I was completely drained of energy and I was feeling sick, like literally all the time. It was like a constant nonstop motion disease and <laughs> I really hated it. 
And so all my vision of this beautifully modified practice as a growing belly, you know, and all these beautiful photos and videos that I'm going to record being pregnant, it all didn't work out because I was just feeling so horrible through the pregnancy. Uh, but I still managed to practice. So, I mean, there were days when I would just do a few cat and cow and I was done for the day and maybe then the long shavasana, you know. There were days where I would do some salutations, but there were days, as even towards the you know, last few weeks of the pregnancy, where I could still do modified primary or half primary and half intermediate series. So it was really depending on how I feel, and I think the best teachers as teacher when you're pregnant is your own body and your own intuition because yes there are many uh, do's and don'ts but um, you know what doesn't work for one person may be healing for another so there were many of these friends or social media friends who would be writing like oh please don't do back bends with you know 35 weeks <laughs> baby in your belly or don't do this don't do that but I was just doing what felt good and and my body was really grateful for that and I think the most important thing when we are pregnant is to definitely keep moving like no matter what you do you should just make sure that you keep moving every day that you just don't end up you know sitting on the sofa and eating burgers just because you're allowed to because you're growing another body in your belly <laughs> um the movement and the strength are are, are definitely friends of yours when you're pregnant um, and I couldn't be more grateful for that and for all the strength practice that I was doing on top of my I mean daily practice if you can call this cat and cow <laughs> practice as well I was still trying to go to the gym twice a week and work with a personal trainer to work on the strength and I think that was uh, really really helpful when it comes to birthing and the postpartum recovery so that's what what allowed me for this uh, very beautiful fierceful and empowering natural birth. <laughs> uh, you know, to push baby out of yourself, it's a, it's a really hard job. You know, it can get quite painful and quite uncomfortable. But if you're, um, if you're a yogi or if you're a person who knows their body and practices physically and, you know, if you practice intensively, whatever it is, you're used to pain, you're used to discomfort. But the awareness that nothing lasts forever, and I think that's another beautiful teaching of yoga, right? That any discomfort that we go through, it's there, but it will not be forever. So even this birthing pain is there. But once, you know, once you go deeper into it, once the baby goes out, it will be gone. So don't worry, nothing, nothing will happen. Just keep breathing, keep listening to your midwife. <laughs> keep visualizing the opening lotus flower and everything will happen. <laughs> I mean, of course, as long as the pregnancy is healthy and there are no, um, you know, there are no um, restrictions because not everyone is lucky enough to have a healthy pregnancy. But, uh, yeah, I think for... Um, very we tend to underestimate the male body and i think nowadays especially what i realized in asia is that many women are being told like oh no you're not going to be able to birth vaginally you're not your body is something your pelvis is too small or your baby is in the wrong position and and they're really discouraged to you know to connect with their bodies but trusting their own body and trusting the instinct and if you feel that everything is fine and that pregnancy is safe and if you are able to visualize your birth safely i think that's a wonderful journey even if you feel like crap and you really hate being <laughs> pregnant as i did the the ending can be still beautiful so for me uh, yeah the nine months were torturous but the birth was was really beautiful and i need to give huge credits to my husband who did an amazing job i think he was more exhausted after birth than me <laughs> It's a hard physical work to support a birthing woman, you know? <laughs> especially because uh, we were planning for a home birth, but in Singapore okay. it's not really recognized. So you can't, you know, just call a midwife and birth at home to go to hospital with some exceptions. But um, anyways, uh, because of COVID, we were also not allowed to have a doula in the hospital. And I knew that I want to birth naturally without... Um, you know, without any painkillers, without um, just just purely by myself. 
so John had to do the job of the midwife of Dula and, you know, chase all the hospital midwives away who were just coming and trying to give me a pidura when I was screaming. And I was like, no, just go, let me birth. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, that was quite a funny story. But, uh, yeah, it was really empowering. And, um, and it really made me realize how strong we are women. And I look at our mothers and our grandmothers and everyone around who had children before us. And, you know, before I was a mother, I was like, oh, yeah, giving birth, having a child. Now I understand how crazy difficult job it is <laughs> to bring this one to the world and then to, you know, <laughs> just go through life with it. It's, it's really challenging. I think women are so powerful and it's highly under undervalued nowadays it really is it's just so interesting to hear you talk about your birthing process and your pregnancy process because it reminds me of our class <laughs> and everything we learned in class so i'm like wondering if you you applied a lot of the the thought things we learned right and the books we read into <laughs> <laughs> i think there was one thing that i i've never actually thanked michelle for but <laughs> You can say it right but here. We'll thing, have her listen to this episode. <laughs> exactly. One thing that saved my life, uh, I think Michelle called it a speed-up position. <laughs> I don't oh, know right. if you remember, but she was guiding us through this um, this sort of vinyasa classes. And, and there was one of the positions, like sort of a tabletop, but then you take one foot forward next to your hand, and then you're swinging the hips back and forth. And it's quite random. I mean, it's like a hip flexor stretching. And But when I was birthing, <laughs> the hospital that I was giving birth to, you know, I wanted to birth in a natural position, not on my back, because when they put you on the back, it's really hard to push the baby out without painkillers and without support. But the hospital was not ready for that. So they really wanted me to sit on this on this bed and I was like no way because my contractions were so strong I just couldn't imagine lying on the back it just gets more painful so I was on my all fours uh, on the floor okay nurses were really really angry about it like how this woman is birthing on the floor here what's happening here and it was probably like half an hour that my contractions were super strong and I felt like okay I really need to get her out because it's getting too crazy and then suddenly out of nowhere I had this speed up position from Michelle <laughs> so being on my all fours like you know like 10 centimeters dilated and deeply into birthing process I just put one of my feet forward and started swinging the skills back and forth and it was such a relief you know <laughs> it's I think the position of the pelvis is really important I mean definitely is and by bringing one foot forward in the tabletop position it just allow your pelvis to slightly open and it aligns the way that the baby has, you know, more space to move yeah. and position itself and to get ready for going out. So I spent in this speed up position probably for like five or 10 minutes. And then the doctor finally came and allowed me to sit on the birthing stool and, and push the child out, you know, because until then I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't want them to cut me. I don't want them, you know, to help the baby come out. So, yeah, I think the training <laughs> was really helpful. But also one thing that I realized uh, recently is that after I attended this mindful birth uh, training, there was someone in Singapore who told me like, oh, I've heard that everyone who attends this training has a baby quite soon after. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, and somehow maybe it opened my mind and I was like, oh yeah, maybe actually after having done this, you know, teacher training, I'm, I'm kind of ready to get pregnant and go through the journey myself because it's probably in a way easier um, to make this decision if you know how things go and if you know what to expect. Well, that's true because you and Justine from our, and from our cohort, she also yeah. had a baby <laughs> around the same time as you did. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, um, I'm kind of far from that at the moment, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Take your time. I think, uh, you know, there is this, 
I mean, it all depends on the culture and country, but um, even I was thinking like, oh my God, I'm getting old. I should have this baby because if not now, then when? And, you know, then when I got pregnant, I got pregnant really fast. I didn't expect it to happen so fast. <laughs> I was like, my God, I should have waited at least a year or two more, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> And I'm 36 now. So, uh, yeah, I got pregnant when I was 35 and I really feel there is no need to rush. I think you really need to live our life unless we have baby really young and we feel like okay there's nothing better in my life waiting for me i, I want to have kids that's all it's also fine but if you want to learn and explore world it's so much easier about child as lovely as they are you know even to i mean it took me a few months to find this one hour to have podcast that's right you know there's just two of us myself and my husband and there is never time for, for anything because you, you want to do your practice every day or whatever it is. Sometimes baby sleeps, but sometimes she doesn't sleep when I practice. So he needs to take care of her. You need to eat something. You need to arrange your house. You need to go to work. And then the day is over. <laughs> uh, that is very true. Uh, so you're right. We have one hour and I know you have to head out soon. But before we wrap up, I, you know, I want to ask you, um, with everything we've covered just now, which was a lot, I know, um, what advice would you give to those who are listening to this episode? Um, you know, women who are Ashtangi practitioners, um, who are mothers, who are yoga practitioners, or just anything um, that we covered, or just in general, what would you share, like your two words of wisdom for others? So that's my first question. And I usually always ask my guests to share some of their favorite books. Um, and I know you're you're a heavy reader. You read a lot. Um, you read some really amazing titles. I'm always asking, like, what book is that? Did you enjoy it? Um, <laughs> if you could uh, recommend a few with us. And lastly, because I know you guys have perhaps a retreat coming up towards the end of the year, if you could share with the audience um, about what you guys teach in your Singapore Shala and what other offerings you have. Sure. Uh, my advice, I often keep thinking like, what would I tell to myself if, you know, I was in my mid-20s again or if there is anything I regret in my life? And I always come to the point where I realize that I only regret things I haven't done, <laughs> you know. Um, and we are often very restricted by the society or by our mindset to really unwind and open our wings and follow the heart and follow the passion and do all this weird and crazy stuff that nobody believes will happen. Uh, so my advice is, is to follow the heart, you know, just to learn how to switch off the rational thinking and just follow the heart in whatever you do, whatever your heart asks you to do uh, and makes you do. I think that's usually the right choice. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Hard to apply, but um, you know, that's true. <laughs> it's it's hard, but I think this is this is where yoga comes in hand. Because that's what we learn when we do yoga. You know, the, the asana, the physical practice is just a top of the iceberg. It's beautiful. Asana is wonderful. You know, I, my life wouldn't be the same without daily asana practice, but it's not everything. And only when we start practicing other things like pranayama, meditation, trying to apply yamas and niyamas into our daily life and understand, you know, the whole eight limbs of, of yoga as, as Patanjali says it, the Ashtanga yoga, the avian path, uh, then our life can change. That's why I also always uh, tell our students, like, come and practice every day. Don't treat your yoga as a twice a week event because it's fun, right? Twice a week, it's fun. Maybe body feels good, but if you really want to see a change in your life and in yourself, you have to practice every day because then the yoga works as a mirror to yourself. So you, can, you can see the patterns, you can see your mindsets, you can see all, all the habitual things that you do and you're not aware of. And only once you start seeing it, then the change can slowly happen. Only after that, you're able to become a little better versions of ourselves. And I think when it comes to books, the one book that I would take with me on the <laughs> on the desert island 
uh, would be the Patanjali. You know, because we often say, and most of people who attend the teacher trainings or practice yoga came across Patanjali, Rajki Sutras, but if you really try to study deeply and try to apply what he says, it takes years to understand this book. It's not an easy book. It's not like you're just going to read through it, uh, you know, and, and forget. It's something that you really need to work on to try to understand the traditional way that we actually learn it in India is chanting. So when I travel to Mysore, except for the asana practice, I also go for the philosophy and the chanting, the Vedic chanting classes. And the chanting Sanskrit mantras and Patanjali Yoga Sutra is a really beautiful and powerful way to understand this deeper message of it. Um, the best translation that I got, uh, came across of the sutra yet is the one by Edwin Bryant. It's a very fat, I think, five or six or eight hundred pages book. Wow, okay. cover. <laughs> but again, you don't need to read it all. So start from the first chapter and read first maybe 16 sutras. Try to read them, try to understand. The first 16 describe what yoga is about in the first chapter. Then another 10, 15 speak about samadhi. This is a little higher level of knowledge. <laughs> and then again, the beginning of the second chapter is quite interesting. It speaks about the obstacles of the practice and how we can prevent them. So all these vrittis, all the kleshas that you know we speak about, and and how to act in your daily life so that the yoga works, you know, and that the yoga happens. Uh, yeah, so I think that's something that you can take with you. Yeah, I will put all of that in the episode resources so people can follow you, they can um, read the book, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, regarding the, our offerings with John, we, we run our daily master classes in our shala, the Nilayam. Nilayam is a house, so we welcome everyone to our house, <laughs> our shala. Um, and this is the best way to, to start the journey. Um, we want to plan, uh, we haven't planned yet the retreat, so we will announce uh, once we know more, but the retreat is usually for students from all levels where we have the morning self-practice, which doesn't mean you just come in and do your self-practice, we teach you the self-practice, <laughs> we teach you how to understand your body and how to, you know, how to build up the sequence, so that's what we also do in the master class. Uh, and then things that we love to do is the chanting, is talking about the sutra, is pranayama, is meditation. Because I think ashtanga, asana being so physical, um, you know, we don't really need to do additional physical stuff. It's beautiful to get deeper into it uh, and to find these other things of the practice. That's great. Now I'm like curious too. I'm gonna keep an eye out <laughs> for when you, when you guys put it out there. Um, yeah, so I, as I said earlier, I'll put everything in the episode resources so people can link back to you guys. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add before we say farewell? Well, thank you so much for taking me out of my comfort zone and making me talk for so long. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for sharing. And I, it's an honor for me to be able to hold space for, for you to share all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Curito Connects. For more Connects content, collaborations, and discoveries set to inspire you on your own individual journey, please head to our website at www.curito.co. Until next time, stay inspired and thank you for joining us at Curito Connects.